Come celebrate 40 years of Unix at the Ohio Linux Fest from September 25th through the 27th. If you use GNU, Linux, BSD, OpenSolaris, or any Unix or Unix-like system, you belong at Ohio Linux Fest. Register free today at ohiolinux.org. in the ham shack my name is richard kb5jbv and i am one of those people one of those people that bring this to you of course uh with the week i've been having you probably shouldn't be listening to me so listen to russ russ has got the stuff how you doing russ i'm doing all right like you just said i survived oscon out there in san jose california people who've been listening to the podcast already know that because i put out a a little side episode when I've got another one coming up, but we'll talk about OSCON a little bit later. Other than that, things are going pretty well. Not enjoying the humidity, though. It was nice out in San Jose while I was there. I probably hit the best week I could have hit. How are you doing? <laughs> we don't even want to get started on that. That would be an episode all in itself. Uh, the virtues of running WPA instead of WEP. But um, that's okay. Uh, things are looking better. Uh, unfortunately, I have to go to the place that's hot and humid tomorrow. But we won't worry about that right now. Okay. So what do we have here on the feedback plate? I only have a couple, but I'm not going to ask Russ first because every time I ask him first, he goes, Oh, man, you always call on me when I ain't ready. So in that case, we have a piece of information that came in on the website from M0GLJ. Okay, hands in air, I give up. A few weeks ago, I reinstalled Linux Ubuntu on my triple EPC 701SD. Have Firefox, email, RSL, S feeds, and various ham radio software packages running under Wine. Love the podcast, but please, I was going to give Linux a try. You have twisted my arm so hard. I listen to the podcast at work on my iPod. Well, now all we got to do is get you on something that's a little less proprietary. So it is it's a few days later, and I hear the podcast after its release. I live in Australia, and we'll be moving to the United Kingdom in January of 2010. Have you got a logbook software package that could install that will work on the small screen of my triple EPC? And that's Adrian, M0GLJ. He's currently VK2BAC, but he's also got M0GLJ. He probably got one of them dual country license kind of things. Well, Adrian, on my, on my side of it, I really don't run anything on a small key, on a small screen. In fact, uh, if you ever saw the show live, you would notice that Russ and I both are bespectacled. And because of that, I run the largest screens I can get my hands on. I will make sure that I check, dig down in, and see if uh, uh, I can find something that's particularly suited for the Triple E, and we will make sure that that information either gets out via the website, email, or through the podcast sometime in the near future. you have any comments on that, Russ? Small screen of the EPC. Unfortunately, since the those screens, I think the one he's got has an 8-inch screen. That's the 701. I think that's the real small one. Not much you can do about that unless you uh, run a virtual um, desktop. That's something we probably um, could talk about, except I don't have any notes, and I couldn't tell you how to do it right now, but you can create a, you can create a desktop in X-Windows or using the X-Server that's actually larger than your screen, 
and then you just kind of scroll around, and as you scroll around, it focuses in on different parts of your desktop. So you can have a desktop as big as you want, regardless of your screen size. You just have to deal with the panning thing. So if you're interested in doing that, I can uh, I can reply to this comment, and we can bring it up later on, the, on a different uh, episode of the podcast. Next up was Paul, no call <clears throat> sign. However, he did ask for the link to Shackbox. We mentioned Shackbox here a while back. Did a little bit of a did a little bit of a uh, review on Shackbox. It's going to turn out to be what uh, we're both the opinion of. It's going to turn out to be a pretty good distro. For those of you who want to go give Shackbox a try, go on over to Shackbox.net. Shackbox dot net there you can find all the information you need on Shackbox. he's uh updating the blog over there regularly keeping folks informed on what's going on with it appears he's still on the what he calls the carbon edition stable the stable version that he had uh, a few months back uh y'all go check it out there is a minor issue with the language file you will have to make sure you change it to english when you're running the live cd but other than that it runs pretty much like it's supposed to. Uh, once again, how do you feel about uh, Shackbox, Russ? From what I remember of it, I thought it was a uh, very good Linux distribution. He also made sure that Shackbox included Wine and ran things like HRD for those people who wanted to be able to use all of the different software for ham radio, regardless of whether it ran on Linux or not. Aside from the fact that it was still what I would consider beta, still had a few technical difficulties with getting it up and running, it looks like it's definitely one to watch, and I think that's what we said the first time. Yeah, Shackbox is definitely one of the ones to watch. Uh, I'm going to download it here in a month or two and see what kind of improvements he's made to it. Moving on, the last one that I've got on my plate is uh, one of our listeners that was in the live uh, live chat room the last time we were... uh, Recording an episode, uh, Bill, KA9WKA, uh, sent me a few emails back and forth about, uh, he was going to get a headset. He ordered it from Amazon. Uh, I believe he even was over at, uh, Resonant Frequency Live when we had it uh, a week or so back. We chatted back and forth, but then he, uh, finally sent me an email which has, says, uh, hi, Richard. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And that's referring to joining us on a future show. Well, we're in luck tonight. He's going to try and uh, try and get in here with us on this uh, this particular live broadcast. When he does, we might even uh, talk about Linux Mint Seven a little bit. He can be the pro, and the way things are panning out, Russ can be the con. So it says, uh, "Yes, I'm looking forward to it too." Uh, by the way, I have been writing up my experiences with Linux Mint Seven. Uh, nothing terribly in depth, but a sort of here's what I ran into narrative. Is that something you would be interested interested in placing on the LHS website, or perhaps something we could talk about on the next LHS show, and then include in the show notes? Not pushing, just offering. Believe me, I won't be hurt if you're uh, not interested. Naturally. I could send you a copy, and you could use it or dispose of it as you wish. 73's Bill, K9WKA. And, Bill, I know you're out there listening, and uh, I'm going to point this to you, and I want everybody to hear it. Thank you for your submission. I do have it. I think I may have already posted it over at one or the other of the other websites. We haven't gotten it on the LHS site yet, but we will. For any of you that are interested in... uh, just going ahead and writing a little short thing, two, three hundred words, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. Concerning your experiences with amateur radio and Linux, please send those to us. You can send them to Russ over at K5TUX at BlackSparrowMedia.com, or you can send them to me at KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com, or one of the thousands of places you can locate us. Uh, including some places that I didn't even know you could locate us up until recently. What's your opinion on that one, Russ? I'm glad for the submission, and I'm sorry I was out of town last week and didn't get around to posting it on the website. I think I'm going to create a special place for submissions of that kind, so hopefully we'll get some more of those. And I'm definitely looking forward to a little verbal tete-a-tete about Linux Mint, because I've been having some problems with it on my... uh, on my new EPC. 
So we got some interesting things to talk about there, and maybe a little banter back and forth will solve some of those. So do you want to address this one about Windows 7? Windows 7. Did you, yeah, you got it as an email. It came to both of us. It's from Paul Shirey. I don't remember if he's got a call sign. There isn't one in the email, but he says, My name is Paul. I prefer Linux over Windows. It is just cool like that. But I was wondering, what do you guys think of Windows 7? Supposedly it's supposed to be better. Presumably better than Windows, early versions of Windows, not Linux, I, you know, I'm guessing. Paul sent us that, uh, looks like a couple of weeks ago. I don't think we got around to that. I don't remember talking about Windows 7, so... Yeah, I found it. It slipped through the cracks. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of Windows 7? Uh, Windows 7? Haven't seen it. I've heard a lot of hype. I've heard a lot of people say good stuff about it. I really haven't heard anybody say anything bad about it uh, so far. But the proof of the pudding will be the same as it is with all editions of Windows and that will be when it's finally released uh, in their general final release. We'll have to wait and see how many things that don't work. If everything works, and it is as much better as uh, I've been hearing, we may have things going on. However, I did uh, find an article the other day that says uh, Code Weaver's uh, crossover is going to overtake Windows in a couple of years anyway. So. <laughs> Who yeah, knows? I read that little snippet, and that was, that was a lot of fun. I think we should post that on the website. Everyone should, should read that one. Well, I posted it over on Facebook. I'll have to grab it and pull it over and stick it. <laughs> In fact, I think I sent it out on Twitter. Too. <laughs> yeah, I think, that's, I think that's where I found it. I think I got your tweet about it and took a, took a read of that, and it makes me feel even better about Jeremy over there at Code Weavers. I've seen him at several conferences, and... I know he's a good guy. He's always uh, he's always entertaining to be around and very personable and everything. And now that now that I read that, I, I think even highly more highly of him. Well, with all the grief that Windows has laid upon my head over the years, it gives me the warm and fuzzies to know that they've got some competition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will. Uh, okay. Well, so, let me uh, give uh, let me give my one minute imp- uh, impression of Windows Seven since I have actually used it. The thing of it is, I find that it is a lot better than the other Windows distributions that I've used, um, including XP, which I thought was, you know, probably the best one. Although 2000 was pretty good too. I have had some problems with the beta version that I downloaded getting networking to work. It works fine, but every time the computer goes to sleep and you bring it back up, the networking is dead and you've got to jiggle a few knobs to get it working again. So I haven't been too impressed with that, but I've been real impressed with the speed. The interface is much cleaner looking, but I think the thing that's most interesting about Windows 7 is that it comes on the heels of Windows Vista, so anything they put out that's even remotely better than Vista is going to be well-praised. I think that's where they are. It doesn't matter what they do. It's got to be better than Vista. So there's my one minute on Windows 7. And I'll tell you right now, I ran a copy of Windows 2000 Pro over here for a long, long time. Let me tell you. That was probably the most impressed I was ever, I ever felt with Windows was with that Windows 2000 Pro. There was just about nothing it wouldn't do, except DOS. Well, it had it had stability on its side too. Yeah, it also had a server edition. I had both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as Windows 7 is, I mean, if they want to get back in the game, they're welcome to do so. But one of the problems some of the bigger distribu- the uh, bigger Linux distributions is running into is one of the things that Microsoft has had against it for a long time, which is it's got a big butt. <laughs> <laughs> it's bottom heavy like nobody's business. Yep. That right there is the, the biggest problem. But it's my understanding that Windows 7 doesn't run on anything less than a gig, does it? You are supposed to be able to run it on a gig and less. I believe their minimum requirement is, is a gig, and you probably wouldn't want to run it on anything less. I'm running it on uh, two, I think, and it's speedy on two. Let's see, I got a, I got a gig there and a gig here and five hundred there and six forty over yonder and two fifty six in the new one. So, I guess I just have to stick with what I'm doing. Well, you could probably get away with less than a gig if you turn off all the uh, video features. Video features, eye candy. Yeah, turn off all the eye candy. You know, make it look just like boring old Windows, and then it'll run under a gig. <laughs> yeah. It has eye candy. It does have eye candy, yes, in a minimal sort of way. I do have one more. This one is from KO4RB. 
one of our listeners who sends a lot of feedback. Yeah, this was a comment on the Linux in the Hamshack website. It says, glad to hear that you've turned to the green side. Mint is my favorite distro, and I'm always glad when others see its benefits. In fact, I think that Mint is one of the easiest distros for former Windows users to get acclimated to. As usual, another great show, Ray KO4RB. So I want to thank Ray for sending that in. Thank you for the praise. We always like to hear that the shows are going well and that people are still enjoying them after 18 and a half of them. Yes, I have turned to the green side. I have had some problems with my EPC getting Linux Mint to run, and I've had some problems with the webcam that people who watch the live show have noticed. But I've figured out what's wrong with that, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit later since it is a Linux topic. So what else we got? We got some folks in the chat room here talking about stuff. Yes, we do. They're talking webcam about webcams. Works in Mint for Rodzilla. It works in Mint for me, too, but I'll explain the problems I was having later. Okay. What have we got as far as announcements? We really don't have any major announcements. Let me uh, add that the other show, Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, now has a page over at Facebook. If y'all want to go, uh, go hook up over there, just get on Facebook and look it up under Resonant Frequency Podcast. Resonant Frequency Podcast. And one last thing before we go on a break. I want last week we got down pretty hard on the, uh, the folks that are uh, throwing spam our direction. The fact of the matter is that, uh, we still don't appreciate it. If I did, uh, uh, get a little too harsh with folks, I do apologize. There's a couple of folks out there that have emailed me and contacted me about it. You folks, that's all fine and good. I understand. In fact, the uh, one I was most concerned with was uh, apparently sent that direction by mistake. So, yes, even Richard can say, whoops, I'm sorry. So, with that, uh, have you got anything else before we go to break, Chris? I'm taking a quick look at the website just to make sure there are no pending comments, and there aren't, so I think we're done for now. Well, y'all hang in there. We'll be right back.
Okay, and we're back. Boy, I tell you, Russ, Russ, I don't know where he finds all that music. Of course, he's way better at that stuff. And, you know, I'm, I've been listening to Rick Astley this week and Depeche Mode, and I even found a song where Yoda was rapping. Been listening to that. Quite enjoyable. Now, if, you'd, okay. uh, if I'd found Yoda rapping, I would have put that in the podcast. It really doesn't work without the video. We can pull it in, put it on the feed here at YouTube, because here at uh, Ustream, because... We can pull in YouTube videos. <laughs> well, uh, we have a guest tonight. I want you all to uh, put your hands together for Bill, K-A-9-W-K-A. Bill's a, a listener on the other show. He was with us, I think, with Resonant Frequency Live when we did our first experimental episode here a few we, a week or so back and everything else. And uh, he's coming to visit with us some, some this evening. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? How are you, Russ? Oh, I'm doing quite well. I think Richard's had the the butt end of this week, and my, mine's been busy enough. But I think we're doing all right. We got a podcast going. That can't be all bad. That's right. Well, there you have it. It's been pretty rough, but that's okay. Uh, I'm just glad that the, I was able to get the swelling down before the podcast because I looked like a kid on mask for a little while. <laughs> Let me tell my joke before we get back to Bill. Uh, my joke is that here in the U.S., we have extra class operators, and most of our operators have had their call signs so long that most of the letters have fallen off of them. They either have a one by two, a two by one, or, uh, on a rare occasion, none of the above. Okay. So Russ has been, uh, experimenting with Linux Mint, and, uh, it seems that Bill's been experimenting with it too. I had a, experiment with it this week also but i'm gonna kind of turn it over to them for a while and every once in a while i'll poke my head in and ask a question so uh take it away russ i've already spouted off about mint in the, in the past couple of episodes because i'm a new convert and i read a bit of feedback there from ko4rb about that conversion bill has been nice enough to send us a little treatise on his experience with switching over to linux mint and we're going to let him uh, talk a little bit about his experience and then i'll jump in and then richard can come in and and aggravate the both of us so bill what do you think about linux mint well overall i think it's uh quite a nice distribution um i should preface that by saying that that i'm a red hat geek i that was the first distribution i ever installed back at 4.2 many years ago. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth on Linux, and I've always had a soft spot for the Red Hat-based distributions up through uh, Fedora something or other, um, and then through CentOS, which was what I was running up until very recently on a machine. But after hearing all this good stuff about Ubuntu and, and the various other Debian-based distributions, I thought I would give Mint a try. So I uh, dug a machine out that was... Uh, not being used for anything else, and installed Mint on it. And it, overall, it went pretty well. I did have a few glitches. Uh, it didn't like my PS2-based trackball at all, uh, generating random click events and mouse motions all over the place every time I touched it. Um, and rather than fight with the software, I just bought a USB version, and it all worked out fine after that. Um, there was something else that, that gave me a little bit of grief with it, and that was uh, a screensaver, of all things, uh, I had it set to random, and when it hit one called Molecule, the whole machine just locked up. There was very little I could do but reboot. Uh, fortunately, that was documented somewhere on the web, and even with instructions on how to disable it once it's been enabled. Uh, unfortunately, that's an old bug that's been around for a couple of years, and no one's fixed it yet. So I'm not quite sure what the real answer is other than to, to disable the Molecule screensaver. Well, that's been an issue. That's been an issue with some of the screensavers on all the different distributions for years. I I love that matrix screensaver, and unfortunately, there's not many distros you can run it on. But I'm sorry for interrupting, Bill. No, that's that's quite all right. I I like the matrix one too. Uh, well, which matrix one? The the regular one or the GL one? Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I mean the 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 other one, the the non 3D one, is kind of poor in my estimation. But if you don't have a GL or a 3D enabled, you know, card, I guess that's what you got to live with. 
But let me uh, act like the moderator interviewer here for a second and go back and ask why of, you, you mentioned uh, Debian and Ubuntu and all of the distributions that are based on it. So of the hundreds or probably thousands of them out there, why Mint? Oh, primarily because of uh, endorsements by the fine fellows at Resonant Frequency and Linux in the Hamshack. Uh, that that piqued my interest as well as uh, some fairly nice comments I heard on Linux Outlaws. So I figured why not give it a try. So back to the screensaver bug, I'm just curious if that was something related to Mint or if that's something related to all the distributions in X. Well, I think it must be related to something within Debian in particular because I recall seeing that screensaver work just fine on my CentOS box. So either it had to do with uh, Debian or a combination of Debian and, and the ATI video chip that happened to be in this Dell machine I pulled out of a corner. So all your machines use the ATI chipset, or? Yeah, I think every this is at work realized, and so I kind of limited on what I can grab. Uh, but the ones that were no longer being used for anything uh, work related uh, all seem to have some sort of ATI chipset on the system board, they, or that was the video card that it came with. Okay, yeah, because um, I personally am of the uh, Nvidia persuasion, and I'm not sure about Richard. I'm in the. I'm in the. I'm of the. Take what you can get persuaded. <laughs> okay, I've got so a couple of them that are Nvidia, and a couple of them that are Intel, and a couple of some of them need to be applesauce. Go ahead. Russell. Well, I will say that my uh, EPC, of course, has the Intel chipset because there's really not much you can do about that on an EPC. But anyway, let's uh, let's go back to Bill and his experience with uh, the good side of Mint. Well, the nice side is the. The, having updated uh, repositories and packages and patches for that matter, I was running a very old version of CentOS and they were no longer supplying updates very often for it. Um, certainly they did not have the Firefox version 3 series out um, and if I wanted to install it I would have to have upgraded almost everything else anyway so I figured this was an ideal time to replace it with the whole distribution with something else and uh, it's been a great experience so far. The updates come often and timely. There's a package for Firefox 3.5 already that came out within days of the release, which was very pleasant. Plus, it's got uh, the amateur radio repository available, which uh, is very nice. I didn't, that is not part of CentOS. I believe CentOS is recommended as a server distribution because of its being... Uh, a sort of unbadged version of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. They don't usually recommend it as a client machine. And um, Red Hat's repositories, as far as amateur radio, have been uh, absent for some time now anyway. Yes. Well, incidentally, they are running uh, CentOS on a, uh, D-Star servers for the uh, for the uh, G2 gateways for the D-Star repeaters, but that's the only place I've heard of it being used in amateur radio, and I, I may be wrong. But that's the only instance I've heard of. In defense of CentOS, too, though, I and I agree, it's, it's primarily aimed at servers, but it runs fine as a desktop operating system. I have not had any problems with it in that regard. And, you know, some people like to change distributions every few weeks. I like to find one that works, that's stable, it gets the patches routinely, and just leave it alone for years at a time. I've still got a server at work running, get this Red Hat 6.2 because it's so stable, I get up times of well over a year on it, and it's behind a firewall, so I don't really care. I'd, I've got other things to do than to reinstall operating systems every few weeks, and that's kind of why I jumped away from Fedora. That six-month re release cycle is just way too frequent for me. Yeah, I was going to ask why you were still using CentOS. I was, you know, was it because it is Red Hat essentially under the hood, or because... Fedora does have a frequent uh, release cycle, and the fact that Fedora is sort of uh, Red Hat's playground for uh, experimental software and can be a little twitchy at times. Absolutely, yeah, it's their test bed, and, and uh, that's fine for what it is. Uh, I don't always want to be a guinea pig, though, so <laughs> I prefer something that I know is going to be stable. CentOS certainly is. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I took a look at CentOS, and let me tell you, if I had to, had the uh, equipment here to run it, I would have at least one machine running it simply because it really looks like a great distro. It's just 
I work with a lot of older equipment here. Some of it's kind of finicky and flaky, so it's easier. I I know where everything is in a Debian-based distribution, so I can go fix it if it breaks. Well, absolutely. I think the the distribution you know the best is the one you like the best, and that's usually the first one you do. And for me, that was Red Hat, and so that's what I'm most comfortable with. Well, there you go. Mine was Sousa, and I don't love it. But <laughs> that's okay. I am the exception to the rule. Well, interestingly, my first distribution was also Red Hat 4.2, and the reason I didn't switch to Debian, um, I had a friend who was really, really into Debian at the time when I was running Red Hat 4.2, but unfortunately all of the hardware that I had had a real problem with installing Debian. I think it was uh, Potato, at the, it was Potato the version at the time, I don't remember if that was 1.0 or 2.0 for Debian back then. But um, I couldn't get it to run on anything, which is why I stayed away from Debian for a while. And I ran Red Hat from 4.2 all the way up to 7.3 and then switched over to Fedora back when it was Fedora Core. And that was Fedora Core up to, I think, what, number 3? And then it was just Fedora. And I ran Fedora up to version 7. And at that point, um, decided that Debian might deserve another chance because uh, we're talking a span of several years. And at that point, Debian had turned into a much more agile and useful distribution and would actually install on my computers. So that was a big plus. Ever since then, I haven't looked back. I haven't haven't gone to a RPM-based distribution, to an RPM-based distribution uh, since then. Yeah, I can understand that. There were certainly some frustrations using RPM, uh, trying to work out all the various dependencies sometimes can be a real challenge. And in that regard, I think apt seems to uh, have a bit of an edge. Although I will say that recently, uh, within the last year or two, even RPM's gotten better with things like Yum uh, taking somewhat of a center stage there. It does a very good job of, of installing stuff, too. Yeah, I heard, um, I was listening to a recent episode of the Linux Outlaws, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. They just, or one of them just installed, uh, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember if it was CentOS or a late version of Fedora, but they were suitably impressed by how Yum actually does proper, uh, dependency checking now, which it never used to do. It used to crash a lot, and sometimes it wouldn't dependency check at all. And also mentioned that the fact that sometimes Yum is really slow, when you like want to install a package, but apparently the reason it's slow is because it's actually updating its database, its back-end database of packages every time you install a package so that it makes sure that you always have the latest thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Debian doesn't do that, and every once in a while you'll get a problem where if you, uh, if you happen to hit an update right in the middle of an update cycle where they're actually porting devs into the repository, if you do an update and then try and update a package on your machine, it will break in a horrible way because you, you've actually installed some new packages and not other new packages, so the dependencies can't be met. I don't know if you've ever run into that, but I've run into it a few times, and um, because of that, I always make sure that when I run an apt-get update, I run it like seven times just to make sure that I'm not in the middle of an update cycle. Yeah, so everything stays in sync. Yeah, I can yeah. understand that. I, I'm not sure what Mint Update is doing Um it seems to be maintaining a database as well, similarly to what RPM does. I haven't really looked that close, but that's the feeling I get. I do know that out of the box, it wants to check for updates every five minutes, which I thought was rather ridiculous. Uh, my machine, especially before I added memory to it, seemed to do nothing but grind away on the hard drive as it did updates for every five minutes. Once I changed that every few hours and then added some more memory to it, it became much more responsive, but uh, that was one of the other issues I had. Yeah, I tend to turn off the automatic update checking and just do it myself whenever I want to install a package, because really, unless you're going to be installing packages, there's no reason to check for updates at all. Well, certainly that's that's one philosophy. I tend to have it check automatically at least once a day. Otherwise, I'm not so good about remembering. I've had occasions where when I finally do think about it, I end up having you know, literally dozens of updates that all have to happen at once, and and that's not much fun either. 
No, that's true. And uh, I have a Linux desktop, or I'm sorry, I have a Linux laptop, and I only power it on about once every two weeks. So every time I power it on, I have to update about 700 packages. But, you know, that's the way it goes, I guess. <laughs> but you got to love Linux. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well Bill, uh, I'm kind of curious. What's your dish in a Minix, uh, Minix Lint? <laughs> I'm using Minix Lint 7. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I know they have it broke up into a main edition, universal edition, and 64 edition. Oh, uh, probably the main. Okay. I believe it's the main edition, yeah. Yeah, are you having any trouble getting uh, the codecs you need for the audio or the uh, drivers for your video or anything like that with it? So far, no. It's uh, Everything I've tried to run has run just fine out of the box. Uh, now, again, this is a reasonably elderly Dell Optiplex 240, I think it is, with a one-point-something gigahertz processor, one-and-a-half, I believe, uh, and whatever the default ATI video card is that came with it. So there, there's nothing terribly esoteric, so things just kind of work when yeah. you have a machine that old. Well, you know, I had the opposite problem with one machine. I've got an AMD over here that's a white box AMD over here that uh, when they went from Ubuntu 8.04 to 8.10, the uh, uh, CD drives quit working, so I couldn't install Ubuntu on it anymore. Well, it's currently running Debian, so I'm I'm a little more happy about that. Well, I, I was just curious, and you got to love those optiplexes. i got a little black one sitting over on the floor I can't bring myself to part with. I think I'm going to introduce my brother-in-law to Linux by putting uh, putting something on there and let him have it. So Yeah, uh, I love taking old machines and throwing a decent operating system on them and, and having somebody who never really gave Linux a chance take a look. It, you almost always get a convert that way. Well, I've been talking about it and showing him some of the stuff. I take him... I'm, I think I handed him a live CD one time also. Unfortunately, he only has one machine in his house, and uh, he does backups for the servers at work to his machine at night, so he's afraid to do anything with it. But we're, we're going to get that taken care of one way or the other. So did you run into any kind of issues with uh, Linux Mint, or did you just kind of download it and stick it in there and fire things up and everything worked? That's pretty much it, yeah. Um, I think this is probably true for almost any reasonably popular operating uh, I shouldn't say operating system, but a version of Linux, distribution of Linux it installs so smoothly um, for those Windows folks out there that have never given it a chance and have heard that Linux is hard to install, they're in for a very pleasant surprise it really is just put the CD in answer a few questions and then have a cup of coffee it just runs Oh, I know what you're saying. I've sat for days waiting for a Windows install to happen, and I barely have time to get up and walk away from the chair when I'm adding Linux to a box. There's a lot of hardcore guys out there that, uh, you know, they give me a ration for using Ubuntu on some of my machines. And uh, I've heard quite a bit that Linux Mint is supposed to be Ubuntu done right. That's a lot of what I'm hearing. Uh, well, I like it just for cosmetically. I think it's much more attractive than Ubuntu. Well, yeah, uh, and that's something I wanted to address is the fact that uh, I guess it was the last edition or probably the edition just previous to it. It looked very Windows 95 to me, so that's one of the reasons I didn't continue to use it at that point. But here uh, here a few days back, I'll be telling everybody, everybody listening to the sound of my voice. After Russ gets through with his side, I'm going to tell you all what happened to me. However, when I did do that, the uh, interface is much slicker now. I mean, it's not a whole lot different, but it's uh, more refined and a whole lot easier on eye. Well, Russ, have you got anything else before we go to break? Well, I wanted to ask Bill what he thought of any of the things that were Mint specific, other than the way it looks. Because I mean, uh, one of the I think one of the things that makes Mint really popular is its user interface. But Mint also has some of its own features, things that are packaged on top of Ubuntu um, that make it special other than the way it looks. And I was curious if he used any of those and if he was uh, happy with any of them. Well, I have to admit I haven't uh, dug too deeply into that. About the only thing that may be specific is Mint Update, which is probably just a pretty face put on Apt or Synaptic or something. Other than that, this is remember this is a machine I'm using at work as pretty much just as email and internet. Uh, we have both a corporate network and a DSL circuit, and this is attached to the DSL circuit uh, strictly so that I have a 
parallel means to the Internet in case the corporate network goes out, which has happened. So other than surfing the web and email, I don't really use it for a whole lot else. That's kind of the answer I was expecting because I don't use a lot of the Mint-specific features either. In fact, I don't really know what a lot of the Mint-specific features are other than Mint install. And the updater, you know, the thing that shows the little lock icon up in the taskbar or down in the taskbar, I guess um, my Mint install is a little bit different because as soon as I install it, I create the toolbars that look exactly like Ubuntu because uh, I like the way they did the taskbars. I don't like the single taskbar thing. So I always, I always run two. And I make it look exactly like Ubuntu, other than the fact that it's got a green tint other than a brown tint. So, yeah, other than Mint install, I'm not actually sure what they uh, put in there either. I suppose I could look through the dpackage repository and find out all the ones that say Mint instead of Ubuntu and uh, see what they've done. But uh, other than that and the fact that Firefox starts up with a uh, Mint page indicating the distribution that's about all i've seen so um i really wasn't expecting an answer there i was kind of curious and i was going to use that information if you had any <laughs> yeah sorry no i guess uh i'm pretty much in the same boat there although i i and maybe this is just my experience with this machine but it seems like gnome's a bit more resource hungry than kde was at least the version i had with my centos box because i definitely had to do a memory upgrade to get the same uh, user experience at the keyboard that I had before. Well, that to me is interesting because I've always thought of KDE as a really big resource hog, but I know GNOME as it's uh, been upgraded to 2.4 or 2.5 or whatever they're up to now has become a little hungrier, but I've at OSCON I talked to Stormy Peters and she's um, with the GNOME project. Apparently GNOME.3 or 3.0 is going to fix a lot of that stuff, so I'm hopeful for that. Oh, that would be good. And, you know, this is one of the few times, I think, uh, that Linux really shines. And I shouldn't say few times. One of the times Linux shines is that when you do get an update, uh, very often it improves the speed rather than just adds uh, overhead. Yeah, that's a, that's usually a good thing. Is usually an upgrade as a refinement, not just something thrown onto the end, uh, as Windows tends to do. But uh, at least uh, 7 is supposed to be a rewrite, so we'll see how that works out. So far, I've been impressed with it. But anyway, I do think it's about time we uh, throw a break in here and we can come back on the other side with Bill, if you're willing to hang out for a little while longer. Certainly. All right, so we'll be back in a little bit, and we'll let uh, Richard take us out, as he always does. Well, actually, I did want to say also, you know, I kind of like what they did with it. It surprised me when I finally figured out that the uh, that the uh, desktop on uh, Linux Mint was GNOME, because I... At first glance, I thought it was KDE. Anyway, uh, y'all hang in there, and we'll be right back.
are to you and I. So we'll blame it on learning. It gets harder with time. But even with distance, well, I know that you love will survive. So we'll blame it on learning. It gets harder with time. But even with distance, well, I know the true love will survive. Okay, and we're back. The great debate rages on. Uh, Linux Mint versus Linux Mint. And even Linux Mint. I, on the other hand, am just happy to have an operating system that runs on any machine at all. Because I found out today that the only way I can have a civil conversation with my youngest child is via the chat room. So, we've heard Bill's side of it. Now, uh, we know Russ has got some downside, and i got a little downside myself, but that's okay because my downside's my fault, not uh, not the fault of Linux Mint. So, let me go ahead and turn it over to Russ. And Well, I don't think my downside is really a downside. It's probably more because of my choice of wanting to use Linux Mint on an EPC rather than Linux Mint failure to run properly on it. I started out thinking that I was going to try one of the Ubuntu EPC remixes like Easy Peasy or Ubuntu or whatever they're called, but I decided that since I liked Linux Mint so much on my desktop PC and my regular my regular old laptop that I would pick up an EPC and see how it worked on there. And overall it wasn't bad at all. I started out thinking that I was going to use uh Unet Bootin to get get it on there, but I found a website that showed an easier way to use Pendrive Linux to get Linux Mint installed. So I used Pendrive Linux with a USB drive, uh, got Linux Mint installed, and it installed well, fired right up, and we're talking about one of the 10-inch Asus EPCs with um, a gig of RAM, and I believe it's a 120-gig hard drive in this one. might be 160. It's the... Uh, the navy blue one for people who care about that and i got the uh, i got it installed and everything seemed to work fine the only problem i had with it was the wireless driver uh wasn't up to par and it wasn't working at all uh it turns out that a simple upgrade to the kernel to use the ath9x kernel module fixed the wireless problem without any problem you know without any issues when it fired up, I, well, I did have to make one configuration change. I had to add the WLAN configuration to an Etsy file, and I can't remember which one that is right now. So the Wi-Fi came up just fine. The, I still have not been able to get the wired Ethernet to work. Um, I've found a couple of kernel modules that are supposed to work with it, but they don't. Most people probably wouldn't consider this a problem. If you've got wireless working, why do you need wired? But it would be nice for the interfaces to actually come up when they're supposed to. So, I, you know, I consider that an issue. Um, as far as use of, like, the keypad, uh, the keyboard and the touchpad and all of that stuff, everything works great. And I even have Compass enabled on it. And it works reasonably well. It's a little flaky at times, a little slow because it is a netbook after all. It's not supposed to be handling all, you know, handling all this 3D graphic stuff, but it does work. So overall, my impressions of Linux Mint on an ASUS EPC are, you know, pretty favorable. I wish the wired networking would work. Oh, and the other problem is there are supposed to be in the remixes some applications that are designed to control some of the EPC functions like power control and atom processor control and things like that. I haven't been able to get any of that stuff to work either. So as long as I either keep it plugged in or don't mind that the battery gets drained in about two and a quarter hours, everything is cool. But like I said, I think these are functions of the fact that I've installed Linux Mint, which doesn't have a netbook distribution instead of installing a operating system that is for netbooks. 
that's my semi-negative things about mint, and they're they're all my fault, not mints. So now that I'm done spewing on about mint, uh, Richard can tell you about his little problem or issue or whatever it is he has to say about mint. Well, actually, to tell you all the truth, I really don't have a problem with mint. And, in fact, it was probably me and, and my equipment other than I told Russ earlier before we started the podcast, I had an intrusion through my wireless network this week. And uh, I've spent quite a bit of time trying to fix some of the stuff that got broke. One of the things, while one of the machines that was down and not really salvageable without another install, I went ahead and stuck a Linux Mint 7 uh, live CD in and played with the live CD. And I liked it so much that I was going to go ahead and install it on that machine. But unfortunately, once I got the install done, the machine would get all the way to loading the desktop, and then it would stop. So that is probably an issue with this equipment, especially since that machine is one that uh, my son brought over here because it had a blown-up power supply, and I replaced the power supply in it. But the other side of it is I really had a ball playing with that live CD because even though it did run slower than a hard drive install, it ran quicker than uh, some of the stuff I've been running over here. It looked, it was pleasing to the eye, and that's that's a big deal. When you spend a lot of time in front of a computer, and Russ can verify this, if it, if it looks good, it's easy on the eye, then that is definitely a plus in an operating system. Plus the fact uh, there wasn't anything that I tried to open, listen to, look at, whatever, that the Kodak or the... Uh, or whatever wasn't already there, so that uh, I could open it right up and take a look at it. Of course, that was live CD. I don't know if that comes in the base install. But as a whole, uh, I'm a big fan of Linux Mint, and I've been sitting here wrecking my brain trying to figure out whose show it was that they interviewed the guy that's in charge of Linux Mint about a year and a half, two years ago. But he was right. They take they take whatever the the uh, long term release of Ubuntu is, and they they refine it and work on it, and it's really a polished piece of work. So for those of you who are listening to us uh, for the amateur radio side of it that haven't uh, moved over to Linux yet, whereas I used to be a big fan of if it's going to be your first Linux distribution, go to Ubuntu or Kubuntu. I think you might start with uh, start with Linux Mint, and if that doesn't work for you, then work your way back down. So uh, let me go ahead and turn it back over to the guys who actually are running the operating system and uh, know what they're talking about because y'all know I had to have my time running my head or it's it's just not a podcast that I'm on. What kind of things do you do with your uh, Mint install? I mean, it's not specific to Mint, Bill, but um, what kind of things do you use it for? Primarily to surf the web and do email. And uh, I wanted something that would run the newer versions of Firefox, which this one does. I've got both 3.0.11, I think it is, and 3.5 on there now. That That is interesting to me that they have not released 3.5 as a replacement for 3.0, at least not through the Mint repositories. Uh, 3.5 is labeled still as a beta package, and so it kind of coexists with 3.0. Uh, but both seem very stable and runs everything I've thrown at it. And to echo what Richard said, uh, every type of video, sound, or whatever I've tried to open has just opened. I didn't have to go hunt down a, pa- a program or a codec or anything of that nature. It just all came right out of a box ready to go. certainly is a very easy distribution to get running and useful for someone. As I alluded to early in the podcast, I've been having a problem with my video camera getting it to work over the past few podcasts, even though it did work at one time. And the reason turns out to be that kernel updates have moved my camera from the video for Linux part of the kernel structure into V4L2, the second generation of video for Linux, which doesn't seem like it would cause that big a problem, but it turns out that the current versions of Adobe Flash are not compatible with Video for Linux version 2. And so at some point, an upgrade to my kernel caused the camera to stop working. The reason I bring that up is because what I did to fix my camera was change from Linux Mint 7 to Linux Mint 5 LTS, which is the previous version, Elisa. 
And it turns out that if I use that version with the older kernel and, as it happens, Firefox version 2, 2.0.0.11, I believe, everything is hunky-dory. And I'm going to try and keep it that way, and I'm not going to upgrade anything, uh, despite however many uh, kernel patches and bugs and you know vulnerabilities my computer is now subject to, um, because I'm running such an old version of everything. But at least it's working. You mentioned that Firefox 3.5 and 3.0 were run simultaneously on Linux Mint 7. Well, it turns out that Firefox 3.0 is also a coincidental package to Firefox 2 and Linux Mint 5. So apparently that philosophy has been followed through uh, the Linux Mint chain. I don't know if it goes back before that because I'm not even sure I've seen Linux Mint before version 5. But they uh, apparently want to make sure that things are good and stable, which is uh, which is nice. And uh, Richard, I think you said that they based everything on the the long-term distribution of Ubuntu. I'm not so sure about that because I'm pretty sure that the back end to Linux Mint 7 is jaunty. Well, they may have upgraded it and changed it. Uh, the last thing I heard before the release of Jaunty is that they were they had it was based around 804. But you know, they may very well have made improvements on both sides that were parallel or whatever. I I don't know. That's just what I heard. Um, in the chat room. Uh, Rodzilla is mentioning that his camera works with Skype and Cheese, but not with Camerama. And that is exactly the problem that I had. And that's, that's the reason I had to retrograde everything, because things that use some of the later versions of uh, the video for Linux software do not work with everything. And if your application is a web application that uses Flash, it definitely will not work if it's a V4 Linux. Now, there's a couple of things I've seen that are supposed to create virtual video for Linux interfaces where you pipe your V4L2 camera through a V4L video device and then they're supposed to work. I tried that with mine and it didn't work with mine. There's something about the fact that your camera has to be in YUV42 format and mine is in JPEG format and so it didn't work for me. But for people who have different webcams, that's an option. And I can't remember the name of the thing that does that right now, but I'll dig it up and put it in the show notes. So, Well, there's my issue with uh, video cams and webcams. Okay, so it uh, sounds like everybody is generally happy about this. There's some there's some issues, but, you know, it's going. I bet that same webcam issue falls all the way back to, uh, to Debian if we really tracked it all the way back to that, that direction. I myself here lately have been finding things not going right with uh, the distros I run over here, and 99% of the time it's a known bug. And I don't know how a distro can come out and already have known bugs, but it it, it happens that way. So I guess we're, uh, we're all pretty much in agreement that it leaves your breath minty fresh. That it does, but with uh, operating systems that have a definite release cycle, there can be known bugs that get pushed out in the release because they have to be released at a certain time. Ubuntu is one of those, and Fedora, and so on and so forth. Well, you know, that's true. I know one that takes about seven years to cycle and is buggy when it comes out. Yeah, Windows. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, I didn't. <laughs> well, I knew you weren't talking about a Linux distribution, so I just wanted to put a fine point on it. Well, yeah, we pretty much uh, beat uh, mint into a green minty wafer. Oh, well, so, now we can make a mojito. A who? A mojito. If you're going to grind up mint, you might as well make a mojito. See, our Mexicans down here, they don't know nothing about that kind of stuff, so <laughs> we're like left in the dark. I'm not sure mojitos are Mexican. They may be Jamaican or something. Someone in the chat room is going to comment about mojitos here in about five seconds. I'm, I can feel it. Mm, there is a Wikipedia article about it. It's Cuban. Ah, Cuban. That was some, somewhere close, I guess. They're pretty tasty. You gotta, you gotta like rum though, and you gotta like mint. Hey, what's not to like? <laughs> uh, we're gonna continue this uh, conversation in just a few minutes. We're gonna turn everybody loose that's out there in the podcast listening audience. And, uh, we're gonna continue on with the chat room. If y'all wanna be involved, uh, in the, uh, the uh, after show that does happen from time to time here at Linux in the Ham Shack, uh, y'all go ahead and go over and check out ustream.tv stroke Linux dash in dash the dash ham the dash shack zero. 
or go over to the website at lhsinfo.org, which is a whole lot easier in my opinion. You can check for updates there. You can check for them over at Ustream. There's even an update from time to time over at Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. I've been talking so long, my screen blankers kicking in. If you'd like to uh, get in touch with me, you can send me an email at kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com, kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com, or follow me on Twitter. That's kb or uh, twitter.com stroke kb5jbv, twitter.com stroke kb5jbv. You can follow me on Identica. We now have a, a Facebook thing going on we're over at plurk and some of the other god-awful things i've got so many social networks into ping fm that it doesn't know whether whether to wind its butt or scratch its watch when i send a ping through there so with that i'm gonna turn it over to russ and let him give you all his information all right this is russ and you can email me at k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com Feel free to send an email, send a comment, question, post on the website at blacksparrowmedia.com stroke LHS. Post on the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com stroke J.R. Woodman. And you can use J.R. Woodman also to find me on just about every other social network in the world, including Identica, Facebook, MySpace, and you name it, I'm probably out there. Except I don't think I'm on for it. One of these days we'll get... <laughs> One of these days we'll get Linux in the Ham Shack on uh, Facebook, just so we can keep up with the Joneses over there at Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast. Yeah, we are definitely going to continue with the folks here in the chat room, so next time in a couple of weeks, if you want to join us, Richard gave you the URL, and I'll post on the website where you can connect to the chat from IRC, if IRC is your thing. And we definitely want to thank Bill, the, uh, KA, uh, yeah, KA9WKA, for sitting in and giving us his uh, impressions of Mint. Thank you, Bill. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. With that, we'll send it back to Richard, where we can wind this thing down. That's right. Last but not least, y'all, uh, those of y'all who are eagerly anticipating the second edition of Resonant Frequency Live, there will not be one this week. We're still firming up the schedule. Y'all, uh, y'all check out the website, Facebook, Twitter. Y'all keep up with that, and uh, we'll let y'all know when it's going to happen again. Hopefully, we can coax Russ into it, whether he likes it or not. So, with that, I would be Richard in uh, in the bunker in Ball Springs, Texas, and uh, Russ would be up there in the pine forest. And he's not bashful about it. And y'all, uh, y'all be listening for his special episode from OSCON. So from here, here, just outside of Dallas, Texas, we'll see y'all later. <laughs>